0: I could tell you that I was done. I was done. I went from wanting to truly, truly kill myself, jump out of my six-story window in my walk-up apartment to feeling like there was some hope for me very quickly. And who you surround yourself with tends to paint a picture of what your life is gonna look like in five years. And so I surrounded myself with people that I respected and, and wanted what they had. And, and sure enough it was accurate you know the people that I found myself with were, were running in the same circles today and uh, we're all entrepreneurs
1: episode 93 the long anticipated episode with my guy Michael Chernow my goodness what a person we talk about battle scars talk about Courage, never giving up. He was almost there. But thankfully, if it's God or the higher power or whatever you believe in, somebody sent those guys to uh, to come and, and help Michael out. I love it because he's as open and transparent as anybody. And we've talked about transparency and how cool it is because it's how we learn, man. It's how we learn. It's how we get bigger. It's how we get better, stronger, mentally, physically, etc. He's got a ton of hacks as to how to do that. A ton of hacks, how to just do life right. Episode 93 of Michael Chernow. Here we go. What up? My man. How's it going, brother? How are you, man? Great. How was the trip to uh, L.A.?
0: Trip to LA was great. I, I did a bunch of, uh, I, I recorded a bunch of podcasts myself, and then I got some time to hang with some friends who who live out there. I got a lot of like my old school friends who live now in Los Angeles, and I don't really ever get to see them, or yeah. I get to see them like once a year, you know. Yeah. Um, so I got to do that, and then I went down to Jacksonville because I was asked to speak for their uh, for the GoRuck Sandlot Jacks event hmm So that was pretty dope. And um yeah, man. Now I'm back home, back in back in my back in my groove, which is fucking so much better for me yeah. than uh you know, than being on the road. I just, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of the of the road show. It's better. The now. routine thing
1: is uh same with me. Uh I feel like it's like um it's it's great to be in it, but then when you're out of it, it can kind of screw you up, right?
0: You know, I mean, I've been I've been doing a lot of a lot of thinking about this and and I've actually shared a bunch about it recently. Um life is never going to be ideal all the time. Right. And so, you know, I, I feel like life is is it's it's never going to be sustainably ideal. Right. There's always going to be moments where we're we're in the valley and we're not we're not on the hilltop. So for me, like I, I try my best not to get caught up in this like, oh, man, like if I'm kicked out of my routine, I'm, I'm bummed out. I'm like, hey, you know, and, and I used to be that way yeah. for sure. Like if I was like, oh, man, I can't get all the things done. Like I don't feel balanced and grounded. And now I'm just kind of like, yo, man, life doesn't have to be ideal all the time. It's actually far more balanced to be able to navigate when the shit isn't going exactly the way I want it to go you know? Mm. So, uh, yeah, it was a lot of that. Whenever I travel, it's a lot of that. I'm sleeping. I'm going to bed later than I typically go to bed. I'm sleeping later than I typically like to sleep. I am not getting to the gym in the time that I like to get to the gym. Although I always get to the gym, no matter what, (laughs) uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not meditating and saunaing and cold plunging and doing all those things, you know, that I do at home. You know, for, but but realistically, for the last three days, I've been home, and every morning, I've been, it's just like boom, right back in, man. You know, like I'm 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 up between four forty five and five a.m. I got my whole thing lined up. It feels so good going through my morning routine. It's like it's like riding a bike for me. You know, um, it's not at all. Well, I shouldn't say that. That would be a lie. There's always moments within my morning routine that are still, and I think always will be challenging. Uh like every time I step into a cold plunge, no mm-hmm. matter what, it, it's the negotiation, you know, with my with my uh my ego telling me that I don't have to do it, that I've done enough and I can just, you know, just get on with my day. But um yeah. Yeah. I, I like being pushed out of my routine these days so that I can I I can be like, wait, this is actually life. You know, life is going to throw me curveballs forever. Yeah. It's never going to be just like this linear path of, of awesomeness. You yeah. Know?
1: Accepting it, moving on, getting right back at it. Right. You're going to, you're going to hit the peaks, the valleys and all that stuff. So it is what it is. That's yeah, that's it. it.
0: You know? I also like, I also think that the only thing we have to do well in life, the only thing that is like, it's, 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 it's imperative to just do well is to get back up. Mm-hmm. It's the only thing. That's it. Like you cannot fail if you stand back up impossible to fail it just is you know i mean yeah look at uh look at the big boxing match on saturday right like ryan lost i wanted garcia to win i really did i thought like i mean i think the tank is the man but uh i really wanted to see garcia like move his hands and get it done and he didn't and you know he's gonna fight again you yeah. know he's 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 early in his career right um i'm getting married
1: in a couple weeks man hell yeah. And the biggest, Welcome. thank you. And the biggest thing for me are the morning routines because she's kind of a light sleeper. So I'm curious as to how you guys do it. You're waking up at four 45, five o'clock. You have to wake her up and how are you getting ready? I mean, you're probably making noise, right?
0: And how are you? Yeah, it's a with, great question. Yeah. Uh, my wife certainly does not wake up when I wake up and, uh, I sneak out, I sneak out of the bedroom I use, I use the bathroom downstairs to get all my stuff done and, you know, she sleeps until 6.30. Mm-hmm. I wake up at 4.45, 5, I, I make my way out of the bedroom and I get all my stuff done. I got all my, you know, I've sort of set my set myself up in the downstairs bathroom at our house. Um, and then I have my red light therapy in our guest bedroom downstairs that comes off the guest bathroom. And then I got my you know, my sauna, my cold plunge, um, and that stuff in my garage. So uh, in between my red light and my sauna cold plunge, I take a pit stop in the kitchen and I set myself up with my my candle and my journal. So I journal for like five to 10 minutes before I go into the sauna these days. And, uh, you know, I'm quiet. I'm quiet about it.
1: What about when the kids were young and they were crying in the middle of the morning? I mean, that's got to throw your morning routine off, right?
0: Yeah, there's no doubt. You know, I will say that my morning routine has been very different since we've moved out of New York City and into our upstate house. Before, when we were living in the city, I didn't have a sauna. I didn't have a cold plunge. I didn't have red light therapy. I didn't have any of that stuff. So I was literally just getting up And most of the days I was getting up and I was in the gym by 5.15 and I was home by 6.30. And in that time, my wife knew, you know, my wife is like very comfortable saying that I am not me without my unbelievably supportive, beautiful wife. Like I'm just not my wife is she knows what I need to thrive and she has been incredibly supportive in allowing me to do the things in the morning that, that she knows I need to do in order to feel well. <clears throat> I'm also in recovery, uh, uh you know, an addiction recovery for many years now, for almost 19 years, I've been sober. And so she also knows that like, I need certain things in order to stay grounded. Yep. And so she supports me there, you yep. know, but there's no doubt, like when the kids, were younger. I mean, now they're five and eight, but when they were younger and they were like up and, you know, like we, we tag teamed all night, you know?
1: Yeah. I made it work. Can we go back to your time? I want to hear the story. And you've said it a hundred times. I I hope you're not sick of saying it, but uh, you got a new audience here. How it all started um, from the drugs to the alcohol to you thought you were going to die to the guy saving you.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I grew up in New York city. I grew up in Manhattan I went to public school where there was lots and lots of kids. I had a really rough relationship at home with my father specifically. We lived in tight quarters. I shared a bedroom with my sister and that made it really like between sharing a bedroom with my sister and my father being incredibly abusive physically and, and emotionally, I I wanted out. I wanted out. I wanted out of my own skin. For real but i also wanted out of that apartment as fast as possible so i would sleep at friends houses all the time i was like i was like an incredible escape artist i just figured out and managed to strategically make my friends parents like me at a very young age so that they were cool with me just sleeping over so i would sleep over at my friends houses constantly
1: how old are we talking about mike
0: uh young man i'm talking about like first grade oh you fit. know okay yeah, yeah. Like I, I, it was an early thing, you know, yeah. like I did not get the love that my, that I wanted from my father. I, I really don't remember. We never sat down at the dinner table to have dinner. Not even, not, I don't recall even one time my family doing that. Now,
1: do you think because he just didn't want to be married to your mother or didn't want kids or was uh, on alcohol? Like what, what was his deal? What do you think it was?
0: So my dad was uh, very, he was very sick. He was, he was a, he was a juvenile diabetic and now it's called type one diabetes, but he was a juvenile diabetic. So he was diagnosed with diabetes at a young age. I think he was seven or eight. And so he had been sticking a needle in his, you know, in his stomach for his whole life. And it really, there was not nearly the amount of um, research and treatment now that we have for diabetes when he was growing up so it was basically it was like it was, it was like a death sentence essentially it was like you can't do this you can't do that you can't do this you can't do that my I come from a line of you know my the men in my family were military my father was not able to get to the military because he was diabetic you know so he was just riddled with re- rejection he was a great athlete but but his diabetes prevented him from taking it anywhere serious you know so I think he was just an angry a- angry human And I know for sure he was not meant to have children. He was very, very selfish. And chances are he was mentally ill, um, bipolar, you know, it really came out towards the end of his life. Paranoid schizophrenia. My, my, my aunt, his sister is, is dealing with some severe mental illness right now. Later on in her, in her life, she, she had a, she had a, a pretty unfortunate break, which is really, really sad for the family. Um, but she's also dealing with some severe mental illness. So there's mental illness in the family. Uh, but he he certainly suffered from that and undiagnosed for sure. He was very abusive towards my mother and myself. My sister kind of got a get out of jail free card. I don't know. You know. He was not nearly as um, focused on on her in terms of like the lashing out and 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 the verbal and physical abuse the physical abuse was like sprinkled in when we were younger and then as I became a little older 12 11 12 13 that's when it got really bad because that's that's when I started fighting back Mm. and uh that's when you know it got pretty ugly at home but I think he was just an angry dude I think he had a I think he you know my grandfather was was hardcore military in the Navy lieutenant corporal or uh, so I don't know, I think he was a, a you know, something like that He was a high-ranking officer he was in the military for many years and he was tough on my dad I mean I know he kicked the shit out of my dad so you know he definitely the chain was definitely you know coming down the line I have, thank God, broke that chain. Like I I didn't even break it in half. I I smashed it into smithereens. I could never even imagine Mm -hmm. being a father. I could never imagine treating my sons that way. Couldn't even. It could. It could. The thought is so disgusting to me. The thought is so perverse to think about treating your my sons with the with a level of anger and frustration and. I could never imagine, but, uh, yeah, it was tough. It sucked. And so that certainly led me to look for love from men in the wrong places. You know, I had a sports coach who was also the Cub Scout, Boy Scout leader who was uh, molesting me and, and a bunch of other kids, but I loved the guy. You know what I mean? He was like my, he was like my dad. I didn't know any better. I mean, I was a young kid. I was eight, nine, you know, and uh, he treated me like a son, and um, and I thought he, I, I didn't know that, the, you know, him throwing me in a in a bathtub and shampooing my me and washing my body. I didn't know that that was sexual abuse. I thought that that was just like him being a dad, you know. And la- until later on in life, that I, you know, in my later teens, that I was like, oh my god, that happened. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was pretty, it was, it, there was a lot of shit, a lot of trauma in my childhood and my younger days. And and when I was 13 years old is basically when I really dove head, 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 head first into escapism and found drugs and alcohol. Luckily for me, quite frankly, because I think it did save my life at that time. You know, it, was, it actually gave me confidence. I was able to feel some level of, uh acceptance because i had, i had certainly felt a lot of rejection in my younger years and you know as a as a young kid and early adolescence and then once i started drinking and doing drugs i i, I felt like i finally fit in you know and so i did that for a number of years and it was and and i you know it got pretty ugly at my parents house i moved out of my parents house when i was 15 and i was a crazy kid running the streets of new york city you know doing drugs selling drugs but stayed in school always had a job i got a job in a in a restaurant when I was 12 years old and I I always had a job in a restaurant or a nightclub all through my teens and and early twenties, but it got really ugly, right? It got really ugly with, uh, with the drugs and the alcohol. I had ultimately gotten to a point where it wasn't fun anymore. I was totally relying on it. I was never not fucked up at some level. You know, I used to think, Oh, I don't wake up in the morning and and get, get or drunk but I would start at five in the afternoon and I would wake up at four 30. So I would start in the afternoon, you know, afternoon evening, right after I got up. Cause I was, I was going to bed at whatever nine o'clock at nine o'clock in the morning. And, uh, heroin became a part of my story at the end. <clears throat> I was very, I was very angry. I was getting into lots of fights and, um, I overdosed. I overdosed in the summer, summer July of uh, 2004. And I thought that that was going to snap me out of it, but ultimately I could not stop using and drinking. I couldn't, I couldn't stop. And then finally, one day I was brought to my knees. I had slept through work. I'd been up for two or three days and my boss fired me. I begged him for my job back. And had it not been for Frank Zano, I owe that guy my life, chances are I'd be dead right now because 70% of my friends from my childhood are dead because of alcohol and drug drug overdoses. and um, And so, Frank said, look, dude, if you want to work here at this restaurant, I loved my job. I loved my job. It was like the one thing that was like keeping me tethered to life even though I was fucked up all the time at work. I mean, it was the one thing that really was keeping me sort of like tethered to human existence. He said, you got to get sober, man. I'm not going to watch you die on my dime. I'm just not, I'm not going to allow it to happen. You're 23 years old and uh, you need to figure this out. If you want to come here at eight o'clock in the morning and clean the restaurants with the porters, you can clean the restaurants with the porters and you'll do that for a month and uh if you stay sober I can give you a job back working in the restaurant but if I find out you have a sip of alcohol a a pill a a line of any drug you're done forever and uh I got sober that day Mm. that was it that was the day I got sober and I haven't had a drink or a drug since that day and uh, I was introduced to a couple of really cool dudes who who would change my life forever and, um, you know, Frank was like really the, the catalyst and Marcus and Gavin were the two guys that saw something in me and they were, you know, they're about 10 years older than me. They were probably 32, 33 at the time, covered in tattoos, Muay Thai kickboxing competitors. <laughs> and and I thought at that time, man, Hey, like I'm getting sober. My life is over. Like I'm, there's an, I'm, I'm going to, I'm living, I'm living in a library from now on. Like, I didn't know anything about sobriety. I didn't know that, that, uh, the life that was possible for me existed at all. Like not even a sliver of it. I didn't think, I thought that, you know, I needed these, these substances to, to feel okay. And, uh, they showed me otherwise. So they basically took me off the street. They threw me into a Muay Thai kickboxing gym immediately and they said this is what you're going to do and if you follow these suggestions you'll chances are be okay and if you really do them you'll be able to live a life that you would never imagine today and so they said you're going to wake up in the morning as early as you, as early as you can you're going to pray you're going to ask god for help because god knows you certainly haven't been asking for any help over the last 10 years that you've been out on the street and so you know they were like i don't care if you believe in god or not believe in the universe believe in something that's not yourself Mm -hmm. because you yourself you're fucked you need to ask for for help and so get on your knees every morning and ask for help and that's what we want you to do and then right after you're done with that go take a piss wash your face and go for a run um and uh, make sure you brush your teeth because you probably haven't been good at that either. And uh, so I would do that. So they said, go for a run. And then, you know, they were like, make that run. It could be a block. It could be two blocks. It could be a mile. It could be 10 miles. Just make sure you get up and move your body immediately so that you're feeding your system. You're feeding the momentum of your system in a positive way. And then when you get home, eat a bowl of oatmeal right away have a bowl of oatmeal, add whatever you want to it. Just make sure you put some, you know, a big bowl of oatmeal in your system. And then we want you to go to this recovery meeting. We'll, we'll, we may or may not meet you there, but we want you to go there at 10 o'clock every morning. And then right after that meeting, you're going to come down to the gym and you're going to train from 12 to uh, 12 to two. And we're going to, you know, we're going to kick your ass and we're going to teach you how to be a man. We're going to teach you about integrity and dignity and honor and respect. And we're going to teach you how to get back up. And that's where I built my life, man. You know, um, I built my life in that Muay Thai gym and I became obsessed with it. And then they said, right after training, you're going to have uh, chicken and broccoli for lunch. You're going to go home, you're going to take a nap. You're going to get up, you can go to work. You're going to try to go to bed as early as you can. Right after work, you're going to make sure you hit your knees and say thank you before you go to bed. And you're going to do all the same exact thing. Uh, The following day is going to be a rinse and repeat. And we're going to do this until we tell you differently. And I did that. And that's what set me up with structure in my life. That's what set me up with discipline. You know, everybody thinks that like I was, I'm just like born, disciplined human. And the truth is, is that I'm not. I was, it was, it was, er, it was taught and earned. And so anybody's listening to this, you know, you could say, people could say, oh, you know, some people are born with the, inherent discipline gene and i'm here to tell you fucking, that's not true i had no discipline i had no structure i lived the most chaotic life and slowly slowly chipping away i've been able to create the life that i have today which is incredibly disciplined unbelievably free insanely happy successful in so many different ways Um, but it all started there And, uh, and, and so pretty quickly things started to change for me. Um, I learned all about fitness and how fitness could replace, um, getting fucked up, (laughs) how, uh, putting positive things into my system with nutrition could change putting negative things into my system, like drugs and alcohol and, uh, relying on, um, some friends to help me. And, uh, uh, I really, really became spirituality became a big part of my life. You know, I, I still don't even know how to describe it today. I couldn't tell you what it is. I couldn't, but I could tell you that I do it. (laughs) I do it. I I, I pray and I meditate and I do all those things. I do breath work. I mean, I, I do it all every day. And, um, yeah, I don't know. But I could tell it's, you that I'm I'm living an awesome life, you know.
1: It, it gets you there, yeah. It gets you where you want to go every day. You're coming up on twenty years, man. Congratulations. That's no joke. Um when you were going through it, you didn't go through any like drug rehab or anything, right? So nope. so there had to have been times in the first like weeks or months where you were wanting it, the drugs, or was your mind just so busy with the routine and the working out and the good food? where you weren't really thinking about it
0: you know the truth is is that i don't i don't remember specifically i could tell you that i was done i was done i went from wanting to truly truly kill myself jump out of my six-story window Mm. in my walk-up apartment to feeling like there was some hope for me very quickly And, you know, who you surround yourself with tends to paint a picture of what your life is going to look like in five years. That's kind of something I, 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 you know, the people that you surround yourself with will really help you project, uh, you know, if you had to do a pro forma on your life, like look around and see who you're hanging out with. And so I surrounded myself with people that I respected and, and wanted what they had. You know, I wanted, I felt like, and, and sure enough, um, I was, uh, you know, it was accurate. You know, the people that I surround myself with were, were running in the same circles today and, uh, we're all entrepreneurs <laughs> yeah. and, you know, uh,
1: Frank was the, uh, restaurant owner mm-hmm. and then the two guys, how'd you get introduced to them?
0: So I worked at a nightclub when I was 16, seventeen, and eighteen in the city called Life, it was like 96 through 99 basically, and uh, there was a bartender there. Her name was Karen. She acted as an older sister to me from for years. you know I would get I would I would I would get into trouble. she would she would take me in and let me sleep at her apartment. you know she just she really she was really a blessing to have in my corner when I was out there. And I knew that she was dating someone who was sober. And so I called her and I actually think she was sober too at the time. And I called her and I said, Hey, like, I'm ready. Mm -hmm. I need help. And she immediately introduced me to her boyfriend, Marcus, who is like a brother to me. And Marcus introduced me to Gavin. And, you know, those two were training and fighting Muay Thai together. And that's how it happened.
1: You mentioned you OD'd. Were you by yourself when that happened?
0: No, no, I was with, uh, it was actually so interesting. So the, the girl who I was with, um, I actually spoke to, she's sober now. Uh, I think she's sober 10 years, something like that. Uh, the girl that I was with, she was terrified to call the ambulance when I, had. you know, basically what happened was we were doing a lot of heroin and there was a, uh, I was naked. There was a a mirror at the headboard of the bed and I was sitting on the the corner of the edge of the bed. And I like looked at the headboard and I caught a glimpse of myself. And typically when you're getting high, like, you know, like your hands will be pale, your face will be pale, but rarely are, are you like, You like white as a ghost from head to toe, like your chest, your arms, your legs, like everything white. And I saw myself, I caught, I caught an image of myself and my whole entire body was white like a ghost and it scared the shit out of me. So I immediately like stood up and then boom, knees went out, face down, fell out. And, uh, I kind of remember calming in and out. She was afraid to call the ambulance. She somehow like dragged me to the bathroom And I'm sure I was like trying my best to help as well and got me into the bathtub, put me, put me on my back in the bathtub and then turned on the, the, the shower, cold water and cold water was, was hitting me. And, uh, I came to, you know, I came to, I didn't die. Thank God. Your your dad's still alive. No, father died a long time ago. He died, uh, 2001, early 2001, January 7th, 2001 you go to his funeral or anything like that? Were you around? I went to his funeral. I went to his funeral. Uh, I I actually spoke at his funeral. Mm. You know, though I had a very tough relationship with my father, there were still things that my dad taught me that helped shape me, the man I am today. My father was hardcore old school. You know, there's a, a story that I remember pretty clearly. I was probably four or five years old. And we were standing in the lobby of our building and we were waiting for the elevator to come and a woman i guess we were standing there waiting for the elevator with a woman and i like ran into the elevator when the door opened and my father grabbed me by the back of my neck and he pulled me out of the elevator in front of all these people Mm -hmm. and he turned me around and he grabbed me by my shoulders and he looked me in the eye and he said you never ever ever walk in front of a woman ever again for the rest of your life you never walk in front of a woman do you understand me and it scared the pants out of me and also embarrassed the crap out of me right he's like disciplining me in front of people which was like at that young age was like traumatic for me but i will say that it really branded this like ladies always go first Mm thing for me. And sometimes, you know, if I say that today, some people give me shit, you know, they're like, ah, like treat everybody equally and blah, blah, blah. And I, you know, like, I don't care what you think. I'm going to, I'm going to open the door for my wife. I'm going to hold the door for my wife. If so, if I'm on the, if I'm standing waiting for the train and there's a woman standing next to me, I'm not walking in front of her. I'm just not, I'm sorry. Like they, like, you know, call me whatever. (laughs) like i just it's just it's just ingrained in who i am so chivalry is a real thing and i think that it's something that 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 we need to we need to sustain you know like i just i believe in the respect that you have for women is 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 tends to paint a picture of the person you are right and Mm -hmm. if you're if you're so quick to just like jump in front of a woman as a man you got to check yourself so so yeah so so that my father also taught me um that when you meet somebody first time, anytime you make hardcore eye contact and you shake their hand firmly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, squeezing eyes is, uh, is something that, uh, my father taught me. And, uh, <laughs> you know, he also taught me the hard way many times that if you have to take a piss, you better make sure that you lift up to that toilet seat. And when you're done, you put that toilet seat down. And if there's any pee on the inside of the toilet seat or on the on the top of the toilet seat, you wipe it down and then you wash your hands. And, you know, he kicked my ass about that as a kid a lot because it took me a long time to remember that. And so those three things, you know, I know that it sounds kind of like small, small, small time, but those three things really have helped shape the man I am, the thoughtful kind of... Way I walk through life, right? Um, and and I've passed the and I, so I shared that at his uh, at his funeral. I shared I shared those things, and also now, you know, we can talk about you know how I've passed that down to my kids. But but my kids are very clear on those things as well. Do you miss any part of him today? I wish he was here. Hmm. I do. There was there's a part of me that just. I wish I was able to share what I've turned into with him. He never saw, he was never able to see the, the guy that I, I became, you know, he only saw me as a drug addict pretty much. And, and, and a kid that was annoying for him to have, but I'm sure he, I'm sure he is proud of me and I'm sure he'd be super proud of me to know what, what I've been able to put up on the board, you know, in the last, whatever, 19 years.
1: Yeah. You're smart enough and aware to know the good and the bad that your dad taught you. So the bad, how he treated you, you know damn well you're not going to do that to your kids or your wife. And then the good.
0: Yeah, I also know that my father probably, I'm not one of these people that say, you know, oh, you know, your parents did the best they could. You know, my father definitely did not do the best he could. He was very, very selfish. He could give a fuck about me. Hmm. That's the truth. I'm not, I, and, and I don't hold it against him anymore. But I certainly don't think I'm not I'm not gonna say he did the best he could because he did not. However, I've completely come to terms with it and I don't harbor ill emotions for him anymore. You know, I did for a long time. It was, it was like definitely and there's still a shit ton of trauma there, you know that I need to I need to continually sift through because you know, childhood trauma is like a real thing. You know, it's like far more, um, I mean, PTSD, I don't know if I have PTSD from that stuff. I don't know if that's what it would be categorized as, but it's certainly, you know, there's a lot of emotional responses that I've seen show up in my life that I can directly correlate to my younger child self frozen in time showing up. You know, and so I'm working, I'm actually working on that stuff currently right now. Um, I've taken a little break because it's powerful shit and it's hard, but uh, I I definitely am aware that the stuff that I went through as a kid and in no way, shape or form am I victimizing myself about it because... I certainly, I just don't think I'm a victim. <laughs> you know, I just, I like really like to look at it and say, wow, like this is so interesting how the psychology of human beings work, right? Like it's, you can hear it and roll your eyes or you can be like, holy shit. Like, you know, that's a real thing.
1: It's real. Yeah. Uh, how, how are you doing it? How are you helping yourself uh, get rid of those little demons?
0: There's a, uh, I hired a coach for three months that really Like, I didn't know what I was getting into when I hired her. And I like to do that every once in a while, like just bring on a coach. If someone comes highly recommended, I'm like, all right, fuck it. I'm going to do three to six months with someone and just see what I learn. Mm -hmm. And so I brought on this this coach who has a lot of experience sort of across the board with executive coaching, life coaching, um, all sorts of stuff. And I said, Hey, like, I have no idea what I want to work on, but like, let's dive in and let's just like, let's talk. And she ultimately within two weeks was like, you need to do this. Mm. And she recommended a book called healing your lost inner child. And the book comes with a workbook as well. So I've been doing it through that. I've paused on it about halfway through because it was me. I was like, there was a lot of anger that was coming up for me. And so I was like, all right, let me just chill on this for a little bit. I'm now, you know, the, the, I think the difference of where I'm at now with it is it's not about like, Oh man, it sucks that I went through that. Cause I, I, I'm, I'm grateful. I am. I'm grateful. Cause had I not gone through that stuff, I wouldn't have started, I wouldn't have used drugs and alcohol. And had I not used drugs and alcohol, I wouldn't have had to gone through 10 years of like total destruction to then come out of it on the other side with like a lot of experience and a lot of things that I would not have had. And now being able to tell the tale, you know, Mm -hmm. a lot of people struggle with that stuff. So I don't regret it, but I will say that I am now for the first time really ever tapping into the emotions that that kid had, like, like being a dad now and being like, oh my God, like, I must've been so sad not feeling like i had a dad that loved me that must have been so sad to go through and so understanding that that spawned a bunch of anger for me um but not like anger that like in like an aggressive way just like really just just like t- tough emotions to 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 walk through mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. But 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 I feel I feel very very blessed to be going through it because I know that you know every time I dive deep into self development I, I I come out stronger.
1: Besides her uh, telling you about that book, is there anything else?
0: I mean that's really that's really where this sort of inner child stuff has started. I'm I'm my next step in the in the path of of this journey is going to be some EMDR therapy. I'm going to try to find someone in the world of EMDR that can work with me. I don't know much about it, but I've been told that it's really amazing for this kind of stuff. So I'm looking for an EMDR therapist. If anybody listening to this podcast uh, wants to shoot me a DM and let me know some good EMDRs, that would be awesome.
1: Is that like NET or the neural? It's like,
0: a, it's, it's like a sound therapy kind of thing mm-hmm. with a, a lot of therapists actually use it. It's like, it, it helps you to remember things that happened and then unravel them so it's a technical form of therapy that apparently is very effective I've only done cognitive therapy and I've never still to this day and I've been in and out of therapy so many times for for years since I'm a little kid I've never really like, I've got nothing against therapy. I think therapy is great. I found way more success doing a lot of work on myself through the 12-step programs. I've never really found a therapist that I was like, this person is helping me. It's always kind of been, like, annoying. It's kind of been like, ugh, oh, do I really have to go? I've never really felt that, like. But I've found, I've found some great coaches over the years that have helped me. Um, you know, like my friend Megan Dolce, she has a company called Ripe. She's an unbelievable executive coach. And had it not been for Megan Dolce in the beginning of the pandemic, for me, bringing her on to help me for about four to six weeks, I wouldn't have launched Creatures of Habit, which is my current business. She was like, what are you doing? She's like, you don't need a restaurant to express your creative entrepreneurial, entrepreneurialism, you know, your entrepreneurship. Like, she's like, you're a creative entrepreneur. You just, you, you can, it could be any medium. And that's when I was inspired to start, you know, launch Creatures of Habit.
1: Creatures of Habit is bomb, by the way. Thank you, man. Nicely done. How'd you, uh, how'd you and Gary V get uh, connected?
0: I met Gary, we had a lot of mutual friends. I, you know, at when I was running meatball shop in Seymour's, you know, I had opened up at, at one point, there was 14 restaurants in the street in New York that I was the founder of. Wow. And uh, so there was a lot of, lot of doors And so he had launched uh, a wine company called Empathy Wines in 2018. And I knew that it was a direct-to-consumer wine business, but I wanted to get close to Gary because I just knew that, you know, like, again, like, the people you surround yourself with tends to paint a good picture of what your life will look like, you know, five years down the road if you can really, really commit to that group of people. And so I I shot him a note and I said, hey, man, I don't know if you're selling Empathy at any retail or brick-and-mortar restaurants. But I would love to sell Empathy Wines. And he got right back to me and then invited me into the office. We connected like brothers. He threw me on his podcast immediately. I ended up picking up Empathy Wines at all the restaurants and crushing it and selling a lot of, lot of wine. And um, we just became homies. And when I knew that Creatures of Habit was going to be my next thing and I knew it was going to be a mix of, of CPG and apparel, I said, you know, if there's one guy that I think can really get behind this, it was, <laughs> Gary would understand what I'm trying to do. And I pitched it to him and he was like, holy shit, this is Kith meets Quaker, like, let's go. Nice. That's actually what he said. Um, <laughs> and so he wrote the first check and he's, he's led both the pre-revenue round and also the seed extension round.
1: Oh yeah. You guys still looking for investors or?
0: Yeah, we are actually, we're looking to close out this seed uh, two round that we're, we're so close to getting done. But uh, yeah, we're looking for some investors. If anybody on here uh, likes a good wellness brand with a lot of momentum and wants to get in early days, we're about 250 shy.
1: Okay. Maybe we'll talk after this. Cool. Yeah. So that was part one with Michael Chernow. We're two-part in this thing. By the way, Creatures of Habit. That's with a K. Creatures of Habit. I subscribe to it. It's Oatmeal that you can put in your blender, or you can put it in the refrigerator the night before. It's delicious with delicious flavors, and it makes life and breakfast a lot easier. So the promo code is MIKED15, so M-I-K-E-D-1-5 for 15% off. That's at CreaturesOfHabit.com. Part two is more of this goodness. It's, it's like nonstop hacks on how to do life. Nonstop. And... Yeah, man. He he's just an open book, and I love open books. I love guys who just don't care about feelings. I don't. They don't care about uh, what others think. They're real, authentic. I was talking to a friend over the weekend, and I told him. I said, "Look, man. I you know they they listen to the podcast, and I was surprised that they did. And it's so it makes me feel so amazing. You have no idea, especially those that I know. They they don't tell me, but then they do when I see them, and I tell them straight up, like." I'm not here to monetize on this podcast. It it gets me away from the world for however long. It's why I edit every podcast. I don't trust an editor to come in and edit my stuff. I know I'm, I'm probably not saving a lot of time doing that, but I actually enjoy it and it gets me away. So for me, it's not monetary. If you want to listen and get better, dude, this is your chance. And it's not only me. There's others out there that are doing the same thing on the podcast world and that's really the cool part of this whole thing is for me this was a selfish project for me this podcast is a selfish project it's a passion project of mine and it's selfish because i didn't go to college i barely graduated high school like i don't the education part i don't really care it doesn't really do much for me i don't really care i don't care i I think i know a lot of people will hate me for this but i think education is a little bit overrated but there's also things that can teach you about education. I think I think the most important thing about college is networking. I think networking is a big deal. You can meet a lot of good people and, and set up your future with a lot of good contacts and networking with some awesome, amazing people. And I've seen friends, family members do that. And they've got friends for life that they've met through college. But sorry, it's a long outro. But for me, this is my this is my education. Like this podcast allows me to grab guests on the show. And do what we just did. Have a freaking conversation. It's going to help me. So if you want to get on the train and you want to help others, you tell them about it. This Mike Gabriel guy's got a pretty decent podcast. He's got some awesome guests. Like every guest I've had... There's never a time I've edited it down and been like, why did I, why why was he on? Why was she on? Why did I decide to get them on? Like every podcast is amazing. Like every guest is amazing. And we're so diverse. It's not just one subject. It's like health and wellness, how to be better, how to grow, how to be a better human being, man. Like, do you not want to be a better human being? (laughs) So this is my, this is my, college if you will. this is this is this is why I get guests on. this is why I'm searching for the next best guest because selfishly it's for me. It's for me. I want to learn. I want to get better. I want to be a better human being. and if we think we're always first in the race, we're really last. Like you're never gonna win the race thinking you're always ahead. you're always in first place because there's never any time to grow and if you think you know it all, you'll never learn. So just keep asking questions, keep an open mind and just be willing to learn. That's, that's, that's it, man. Just be willing to learn no matter what stage you are in life. Just be willing to learn. Like when I get kids who want to learn certain things about a sport or a subject and you see in their eyes, it's like bright, wide, wide open ears are wide open and they're just sitting there and listening and listening. And they're willing to learn, there's nothing better. But then you got those who just think they know it all. And unfortunately, their life won't get any better. Like, there's no improving that person. Man, that was a long ass outro, but it was something I had to say because Turnout turnout did it. You know, he did it for me there. And this entire episode, like, he's, this is, it, it just, it just, it just, the light bulb went off and I was like this is why I do this and I know I've told you guys this before but I don't know man part 2 coming out most likely next week I hope you guys enjoyed that if you did please leave a review on Spotify just hit the tab for 5 stars and then go on Apple leave a quick review you guys are the best got this little tight community that I can communicate with Um, I get your DMs we talk Uh, if you can share it on, on Instagram on a story tag me Like, you guys are awesome. It means so much to me. Thank you so much for making me a part of your day. I am I Gabriel. Until next time, folks, no wasted days. Let's go.